Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you, and joining me today is no stranger to the CFL. It's TSN's Dave Naylor. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, exciting time, a bit of a pause between you know free agency and the draft. It's in some ways it's the quiet part of the season, but it gives us sort of an opportunity to you know evaluate where everybody is. Yeah, free agency, then it's the combine. So that's coming up in about a month. And then, yeah, that's kind of on the training camp, which is really exciting as well. We'll start out with uh, some mm-hmm. surprises, I guess, mm-hmm. that came out of out of free agency. Darnell Sankey going to the XFL's um, Arlington Renegades. What did you make of that? Well, it's an odd one because I think he was offered, you know, in the range of $160,000 a year from Saskatchewan, which is more than he would make in in the xfl um the one thing about the the xfl money versus cfl money is that you know it's money right away and i'm sure he would have fetched a signing bonus you know in the cfl um but i i don't know how big that signing bonus might have been so you know if you want to get paid over the next two and a half months the xfl is a better option and i have no idea what his you know circumstances are that's but that's one advantage in terms of, of money and then the other part of it and, and i'm i'm curious about this to see how this works because there's such a competitive market for players right now especially good players like darnell sankey or mcleod bethel thompson you know guys that have, have been in the nfl um are these players going to have the leverage to say i'll come to your league but I want to release at the end of the year so I can play in the CFL if I want to. Right. And because officially these, these leagues both have two year commitments. I believe you can get out for the, sorry, the USFL, I believe has a two year commitment. The XFL has a commitment till I think like December 31st, at least like you're, you're wrapped up for the calendar year. And, and I, I'm not sure whether it's one or two years, but you're not available for the rest of the year. So the question would be, could a Darnell Sankey say to you know, you really want me this year? How bad do you want me? I'll come and play for you, but you let, but you allow me to play in Canada as well. So then he can double dip, right? Uh, and, I, and again, I don't know this. I'm just saying that may, who knows if they have a handshake agreement, right? Same thing with McLeod Bethel Thompson in, in the, uh, in the USFL. Is he going to have, you know, if, if a team calls him in September, is there anything preventing him from coming back? Officially, there would be, but I just think these players are going to have the kind of leverage to be able, not every player is going to have this kind of leverage, but some of these players are going to have leverage to say, well, if you really want me that bad, I'll, I'll fulfill your need, but I, I'm not, I don't want you preventing me from you know playing again in camp. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, is again, sometimes it's just a point of pride for guys. Like if they think they're worth this and they're being offered that, it's just a point of pride. So it's a, I, but I say it's, it's, it's a pretty unique case. And I, and I mentioned the two cases that we've seen, right? Darnell Sankey and McLeod Bethel Thompson, probably the two highest profile players that have gone to alternative leagues. They, they both went for less money, you know, usually water runs downhill. And that's why I'm wondering whether or not there's an opportunity for either or both of them to come back to the CFL because it's, McLeod Bethel Thompson's circumstance is a little different because I, I I know a little more about it. You know that he's got a, a young child and his wife has a has a very good job. He's not a, he's never been a guy who's been all about the money. So to, of all the guys you you might not be surprised to see go for less money, he would probably be top of the list. And I, I just don't know as much about Darnell Sankey, but the the point being that this really becomes would become a critical issue if guys were making more money in those legs. 
But the fact is they're not, at least veteran players aren't. For rookies, you can certainly make an argument that the economics of these leagues are better than the CFL because you're basically making about the same amount of money for a 10-week season as opposed to a 21-week season. But once you get to veteran status, that's a totally different thing. Minimum salary for rookies this year goes up to $70,000. That's that's not very much in Canada. So I don't know what the American ones are, but I'm assuming it's a bit more than that. But with McLeod Bethel... Well, I, I think this... Yeah. So no, this, like the salaries in the USFL and the XFL would kind of compare to that $70,000 Canadian figure. Like I believe in, in the range of like 50000 US. So you're kind of, you know, but you're making it over 10 weeks. So on a per week basis, you see what I mean? For an entry-level player, you're making a lot more money in those leagues than you are in Canada. But I don't know where you can go salary structure-wise in those leagues. And it's actually too early in the existence of those leagues to really say. And then I know McLeod Bethel-Thompson, he came to Canada because his kind of NFL dreams fizzled out a little bit. Do you think with him going to the USFL, this might be trying to get his foot back in the door for another shot at the NFL down the road? Yeah, it is. And and I haven't spoken to him about this recently, but my colleague Farhan Lalji has. And yeah, he's, you know, McLeod is what, 33 now, 34? Got to be about that range, I think. It's the only position you could really fathom going to the national football league from the cfl at this at that age i mean doug flutie did it Dieter brock did it you know i'm not talking about guys who went as quarterbacks in their 30s now i'm going back a bit on both of those especially the Dieter brock one but you know mccall bethel thompson people say it all the time he's he has an nfl arm here's two things mccall bethel thompson has that theoretically make him employable as an nfl team or i'll, I'll give you i'll give you a few stats characteristics one he has an nfl arm two uh he is a relentless worker like he is not a guy you're gonna bring into the locker room and worry about whether he's gonna you know put everything into it he is he is all in in football he never gets hurt you know, I, I guess, except in the fourth quarter of the Grey Cup. But I mean, by, by and large, look at look at how many snaps he took last year, which is basically all of them, you know, and look how many quarterbacks across the league didn't make it through all their starts. So he's durable. He's got, and again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of CFL arms, but I mean, he, he has an arm that would be the caliber that would rank with some guys that are playing the National Football League. And he, and as I say, he's a real line. Now, and, he's, and he plays a position that there's a limited supply of, right? So like I said, he says that teams have told him, you know, that he's on their radar. So in his mind, keep playing, play a short season. You know, if you, imagine if you light up the USFL and you come out in June, could you get signed? You know, maybe. I mean, he's not going to be anybody's developmental guy at this age, right? And people know what he is because he's been around that league. But what he is, is not, isn't all that bad. But I, I think it would take a team with a, you know, pretty strong need to bring him in, to be, to be fair. Do you think there's any truth to those rumors of the, I guess, the issues on field between him and Coach Dinwiddie at all? Do you think he is at any way one of those potential air quote problem guys coming into a locker room or on a sideline? Oh, no. I mean, look, I, I, I've, I'll tell you what I think. I think McLeod has a ton of respect in that organization. Right. And and he's a different cat. Right. And and you talk to him, you can tell he, he thinks about life a little more than a lot of players do. And that can cut both ways in terms of how you're received in a locker room, I think, because football you know, can be a sport where they like you to be all about football and nothing else. And, and you know, McLeod is kind of a guy who I think thinks 
about more about life than football without it detracting from the attention he puts into football. And, and that's a fine balance. Not everybody can pull that off, but no, I, 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 you know, I saw some of the things that happened on the sideline, particularly the game in BC last year where they took him out late and they're getting blown out and put in Chad Kelly and it looked like he had a bit of a tantrum. And, you know, I, I, I think, and it, it, you know, it's what they will say about guys who sometimes go off like that is they'll put up with it because, you know, that's that's the competitor in him. And, and I've, I've heard people say also that, you know, McLeod's waited so long in his career to have that opportunity to be the guy that now that he is the guy, he wants to be the guy. He doesn't want to come out. You know, he wants all the reps and all that. That's that's who he is. So I don't have any anything I've heard anecdotally or otherwise to suggest that, you know, he wasn't respected you know, highly in, in that club, uh, you know, and on that team. Moving on to another quarterback. So recently, Dane Evans gets moved from Hamilton. I guess uh, a lot of people were wondering who's going to be the odd man out. Bo comes in. Bo gets re-signed. Schiltz also gets the extension. Evans gets moved. I'm not really surprised that he was moved, but are you at all surprised that BC is where he ended up? I was. Um, and it's funny. It's one of those ones that after I looked at it, it made a lot of sense. And and I, I'll tell you, I had made some calls the week before, right? And I was looking at, okay, where are the teams that that could really, you know, where he would where he where A, they could pay him and B, they would need him, which are basically the you know, the two criteria you would look at to see where you think a player's gonna land. And the three places I came up with were Toronto, which I mean, money-wise all they've got committed to their quarterbacks is Chad Kelly, who's on his rookie deal and Ben Holmes, who's got to be on a minimum rookie deal. That's it. Okay. So that was the most obvious place that could pay him and needed him. I thought he would, get, he would end up there somehow, but Hamilton wasn't going to let that happen. That was, I think their goal, not to have him walk down the highway and put on double blue. Uh, Montreal was one again. I thought I, I, you know, I don't know what they're paying Cody Fajardo right now, but I know it, it's, I presume it's not a top of market contract. And certainly, you know, you might want some depth behind him a little bit. I mean, they have some certainly, but but more experience. You know, I didn't get the sense that they were that interested. From what I could find out, same thing at Edmonton, where they have Taylor Cornelius, a uh, guy who's you know got a you know a season's worth of starts on his resume, but but doesn't have much experience. Again, they're only paying him about $200,000 in base pay. So there'd be opportunity to add him again. I, 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 you know, from what I could figure out, it didn't seem that they were a likely destination. So I thought it was gonna be Toronto. And, and, and I thought, well, and I guess I was maybe going on the assumption that maybe the Dane wanted to go to Toronto because that's where he could get the biggest payday you would think. And so the idea was if they traded him wherever, whoever takes him is going to have to break his contract. And as soon as they break his contract, he could go wherever he wants, like Toronto. But it turns out that he wanted to go to BC. And and so, you know, it was prearranged that his contract would be broken and restructured at a much lower pay scale than I thought he would he might accept, like in the I think he's in the 110 base range, you know, plus incentives, but um, or playtime. But I think, you know, Dane Evans and good on him has taken a page out of the Trevor Harris playbook, right? Like when your career goes sideways and you kind of lose control of it, it's okay to take a pause, take a number two role, take a step back, take a lower base pay, wait for your opportunity and, and go there. I mean, that's what Trevor did, right? Essentially in Montreal. And I remember talking when he signed to that deal in Montreal last year 
And he said, I, you know, he basically said, look, I know people are going to scoff at what I signed for, but I know what I'm doing. Right. And a year, a year later, he's making $500,000. So he clearly knew what he was doing. And I don't know whether Dane Evans looked at that and said, the irony is he's backing up Vernon Adams as well. Right. The same way that Trevor Harris did. And like, you know, when a guy wins a job like that, it's never the guy's fault for winning the job. If you want to, if you agree or disagree, it's a coach's decision. Right. It was the coach's fault. And it's interesting. You know, they fired the coach, Kahari Jones, and they brought in Danny Machocha from the front office. They did some different things, but the one thing they both agreed upon was that Trevor Harris was the quarterback and not Vernon Adams. So it wasn't like one guy, right? And anyway, I, I think it was there was obviously some sensitivities when that went down because people are going to look at it and go, holy smokes, like Dane Evans is in Trevor Harris's situation a year later, basically with a contract that looks like Trevor Harris's contract, and he's backing up Vernon Adams. And and I thought it was smart that, you know, at the introduction that Dane said, you know, to the this is Vernon Adams' team. Like that he's there to compete for the number two job. And I think that's, you know, maybe a little, I don't know if it was ever put that way in Montreal, you know, that he was definitely there to compete for the number two job. I, I don't recall what was said, but Dane Evans is in the Alliance have said, look, he's here to compete for the number two. All that said, we all know that you keep your job in pro football with performance. And if, you know, the first half dozen games, Vernon Adams is performing well, he'll be the starter and they'll have great insurance behind him in Dane Evans. And he's not performing very well. Well, the Lions have a luxury that they can turn to a guy who has already taken a team to a great cup, you know, and, and well, two of them, right. One as the full-time starter in 2019. And then as the, as the part-time starter in, in 2021, not that many teams have that kind of experience in their backup quarterback, you know, especially in a guy who's still what, 29, 30. Right. So, so uh, yeah, look, I, once, to answer your question, back to the very start, I was surprised. I did not see it coming, but it's one that when I looked at it and saw what they gave up and what they signed him for and really looked at the mix there. I mean, Dom Davis is an excellent short yardage quarterback. He's probably the best maybe the league's ever seen. <laughs> but um, but his history as a starter has has been, well, it's been driven by turnovers and, and you know, losses. So I, I, I think BC's in a much better situation now. And, and it, I say, after I looked at it, I said, man, I, I should have seen this one because that actually makes a lot of sense. Vernon Adams is he's a good quarterback but he's had issues at the starting role as well so I think you're right I think this only you know strengthens a Dane coming in saying I'll hang back for a little bit but eventually I think partway through the season the starting job will be his for sure well and, and I think even if even if there isn't a switch in starter we, we know you look at it and say how many CFL quarterbacks take every snap for all 18 games right McLeod Bethel Thompson almost did for he did for 17 games and they sat him down for the 18th. It didn't matter. But I mean, honestly, God, I'd have to think, I bet the number of snaps he didn't take in those first 17 games, you could count on two hands. Right. So um, it was, I mean, he was the guy, but in most teams, I mean, just through attrition and, and the healthier quarterback that, that didn't happen. Right. So, you know, let's say what's the average, for a starting quarterback from CFL. He's going to miss three games. That but probably if you worked it out, you know, threw it all into the pile, maybe. So you're going to, okay, well, let's say Dane Evans starts three games, the BC Lions. You know, that's three games of audition tape to show everybody that he's a different quarterback than he was in Hamilton in 2022. And that may, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to take the job the way Trevor Harris did. But we all know in football, sample size, you know, they don't play 82 games. They don't play 162. They play 18. And, evaluations about where a player is at and what he's capable of are made over 
often three or four games. So that may be all Dane Evans needs. So coming out of free agency as a general or generally, who do you see as, I guess, the biggest winner so far as of right now? Well, I got to I got to handicap this first because I mean, free agency is very difficult to evaluate. And here's why I'll tell you why. One is the teams that do the best, that spend the most are the teams that did the worst the year before, basically, or the last two years. Right. Because they've released everybody. All their expensive players went boom. And now they've got a ton of money to go into the market and buy players. So, you know, the, when you first thing you have to understand is some teams are starting with very little money going into the market because they're good and they want to keep everybody. And other teams are going to the market with tons of money. And so they have a much easier time. The other thing is you can look at a player and say, that's a great signing, but the guy costs them $310,000. And the other player isn't as good, but they got him for one ninety. Well, what's the better signing, right? So, so there's all there's all kinds of metrics. So when I was thinking about this, it's it's very so. The bottom line is it's hard to evaluate and say this team did bad. Like I could, I'll give you an example. I could look at, I could look at a team like Montreal and say, well, they got Greg Allenson, Cody Fajardo, Siante Evans, Caleb Evans, Jake Hardy, and James Tuck. Okay, six good players. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers got Kenny Long. That's it. Right. But the reason is the bombers like you know, the other, they're not, they aren't looking, they're not looking up great. They like what they have. Anyway, long way of saying I, I did a total gut, like just looked at the name and put a number in my head from one to 10 and how I would evaluate the signing. And it was, you know, how good is the player? What did they pay for him? And I don't know on every case, but I have an idea on most of the important ones. What did they pay him? How good is the player and what's and how much does it fill their need? Like, is it, you know, what is a good signing for one team might be a, a, a bad signing for another team because they don't, you know, they're already stacked in offensive line. Why would they add that guy where he signs another thing? So it pure gut just looked at it and said one to 10, right? And, and use kind of a grading system where, you know, I, I don't think I gave anybody less than a five because anything less than a five would be basically your team is getting worse by adding that guy, basically. You know, five is kind of the minimum, right? And I, I think the only player I actually gave fives to were guys that I looked at and said, you know, I give him a higher grade, but that guy is never healthy. And I think it's a bad signing because he's, you know, that. And then I tried to figure out what the average was on my teams. And the team that came up with the highest average for me, uh, and this is very unscientific, <laughs> uh, was the Toronto Argonauts. I, I averaged their signing at 7.75. And the team that came the lowest to me was Montreal. I averaged their signings at 6.33. I had Saskatchewan at 6.37, BC at 7, Cal- you know, they're all in that same range again, because a lot of these, you know, a lot of these, you know, the best players, you have to kind of downgrade it because how much did they pay for them? And then you look at the bargains and you have to kind of grade those and say, you know, how much is left of that player? And what you see a lot in CFL free agency is not so much guys who hit the market when they're at their absolute peak, right? Like Gino Lewis did, right? Gino Lewis is 29 years old. He's been five years in the league. You know, number one or one A deep threat in the league. He's a consistent performer. He was invested in his team. He goes to market, bang, and he gets three hundred twenty thousand dollars. Far more likely, far, that's those are really exceptional cases. Most of the players who go to free agency in the CFL are guys I would say who haven't come off great career years. Guys who not that they sucked, but they in some way, shape, or form didn't live up to expectations. 
and their team is not giving them what they think they're worth or their team is told them and into the market they go right so that's that's the over so you're you're catching a lot of guys on the down in cfl free agency right and and so you have to decide okay which guys that are on the down are moving down quickly and which are not and which are poised bounce backs that's really what a lot of cfl free agency is and like I, I think you know, I'll give you a team that has a real interesting mixed bag of free agency. I thought that that had some smart signings and and um, I gave. I think overall they came up with my second highest grade. I think. Um, okay, let's look at the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Kwaku Botang, right? Really good Canadian edge rusher. Proved himself as a as a professional commodity getting to the quarterback in Edmonton, but he got hurt last year in Ottawa, and he's one of the many reasons the Ottawa Red Blacks had a bad year last year. Losing him, you can't replace Canadian like that. So I thought there's a guy who, if it's if he, he's healed up, that's a good signing. You know, James Butler. Ticats have never had a kind of dynamic running back. You know, they've got some workhorses like John Thomas Erlington, you know, and Don Jackson had his moments there, but there was never sort of that consistent threat, especially a dual threat a guy who can catch the ball like Butler can running around the back, backfield. He's durable. Um, you know, I thought that was a good signing. Um, Jared Davis, you know, don't love it. Don't hate it. It's, it's a, you know, I, I thought it was one where, you know, he's, again, he's been around a while, um, you know, but I, I thought it was, I don't know what they paid him, but it's, that's a quality signing. Um, Joel Figueroa, I mean, a tackle, you know, who's, who's, again, he's an American tackle, but one of the things I think teams are maybe a little aware of is that it's going to be harder to get Americans. You can't just get the guy who was cut by the Patriots last week, like he used to be able to, right? Because the economics of the leagues have, have become so despair. There's so much disparity between NFL and CFL salaries. Now the guys don't just automatically come to Canada when they get cut. Uh, and then you got all these other leagues. So all of a sudden, like a Joel Figueroa, who's up here as an American tackle, right? There's, there's a guy that that's got value. Jameer Thurman. I, I, I think Jameer Thurman might be one of the most underrated players in the CFL. Yes. I, and I'm really interested to see, kind of what attention he will get playing in Hamilton. Um, you know, he's been a guy who's had a couple, you know, been in the NFL a little bit with Chicago. I don't sure he ever got out of a camp, but, but I, I think Calgary was a different team a lot of times when he wasn't in the lineup. So I like that Duke Williams, you know, look, this guy was a $300,000 receiver last year. He's not now. Right. Like, and that's you know, a lot of people look and say, Oh, he was a bust in Saskatchewan. Whatever. He didn't have a good year and he was injured a lot, but, I assume those are reasons the Ticats got a real bargain, right? And Fraser Sopic, who's a great special teams player, right? So it's, you know, there's, I, that's, I, I looked at those and just said, you can look at every one of those. And like, are any of those guys coming? Like, actually, they got more guys coming off high level years than most. James Butler's coming off a high level year. Figueroa is off a high level year. Uh, Jameer Thurman's off a high level year. They got three guys there that are all kind of more on the ascent or at least hitting their peak. And then they got some that they're trying to pick on the way down. Like I thought, I thought Ottawa did a lot of kind of picking on the way down. Like you look at a, you know, Cariel Brooks from, from Hamilton, who's 32 years old. Taryn Vaughn tackled Saskatchewan, missed a lot of games last year. Shaq Evans, you know, fourth round pick. Shaq Evans, one of the highest, you know, pedigree players in the CFL. Never mind receivers, he's a fourth round pick, right? Um, who never played an NFL game, which is very weird. Not many guys with that resume, but as yeah, but as a receiver, I shouldn't say it. You know, there are other players that are drafted higher than him in other positions. But I mean, as a receiver, that puts him in some at least pedigree wise. Lamar Durant, you know, not that long ago was in the conversation of outstanding Canadian, you know, and 
So again, not that long ago. So he doesn't have to even get back to what he was then. But there's a guy, you know, again, they pick up on the down. Milanovic Leacher, another guy, right? Been let go a couple of times, you know, most recently in Edmonton. Not let go midseason, but teams, the last two teams he was with let him go. But he's a he's a unique player. I'm not sure he's a guy you can feature, but he does give you a you know particular dynamic out of the backfield you don't see very often because he's so big and strong and so physical. Michael Wakefield, the guy who's been there before they got uh, Drew Desjardins. Drew Desjardins, you know, those are the other free agents, the guys that are not hitting the market on February 15th, but guys that were, you know, released by the NFL. I I saw Drew Desjardins last summer when I was in New England. And talking to the ESPN reporter who's there every day, he said he he did not look at a place, you know, in the Patriots camp. Thought that he thought that he would at least stick in their practice roster. He didn't. He went to New Orleans for a bit and got released. But what I know of Drew Dejale, and I would never profess to be an expert on, you know, grading out offensive linemen, but is that he's a really, really nasty player, you know, and nasty in a way that that teams love to have because it not only kind of has a presence on the field, but it gives your team a bit of an identity. And, you know, there was somebody I talked to after that signing who said, that's, that signing is going to change that team. You know, it's a really impactful. Now they're paying them a boatload. Right? <laughs> um, and I'm sure they had to because a guy like Drew Desjardins, if you don't pay him a boatload, you know, in December or January, you know, he'll wait and take another run at the NFL. He's still a fairly young guy. Right. So, but anyway, the, you know, those, there's one where Ottawa, I thought most of the guys they got were guys that were kind of come off, are still off their highs. And I assume that there's a lot of bargains in there, right? That's, that's what you, that's the way you can do it. So, you know, all kinds of different strategies, but, you know, in terms of uh, who I really like what they did, you know, I like what Toronto did. I like what Hamilton did. I like what Edmonton did. And, and Edmonton's like very suited to their team, right? If you think about it. They've got a young quarterback who's been in the league two years, right? And year three is kind of the year it either happens or it doesn't sometimes for you as a quarterback. Maybe it happens again in two or three more years, but your opportunity for it to happen now is year three, you know? And and look, I, I know people who think Taylor Cornelius, you know, should have been a mid-round NFL pick, you know, um, like he's got that good an arm and, and he runs – I mean, look at his rushing stats. And, and and it's so weird because when we think of rushing quarterbacks in the CFL, we think of, you know, short guys with quick steps, but he's a long strider. Right? And it's, yeah. it. I mean, when you really actually look at what he can do, there's, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a player truly like him in the CFL. And so, okay, what, what is Edmonton's franchise sort of direction resting on? It's resting on the quarterback kind of becoming you know, ascending to that level where he's maybe not an elite quarterback, but he's in the upper half now. He's a guy that's an advantage, no longer a disadvantage because he's learning the game. That's what this is about. Because if it doesn't happen for him now, they're going to have to like come up with another plan. Like this is really, and I, and I think this is important because a lot of times CFL teams don't, you know, follow that development track. They're always looking for a quick fix, but here we are in year three. Okay. So they've already got, you know, Dylan Mitchell from Oregon, who proved himself as a pretty good receiving target last year, right? They've got some veteran presence in Manny Arsenault, who's still there. At this stage of his career, is largely a possession receiver. But they go out and they pay for Stephen Dunbar, Kyron Moore, and Eugene Lewis. You know, and and like why? Because that's the most important thing for their team right now. Right. <laughs> that they if they if this if if Taylor Cornelius can't find traction this year. With with those receivers, assuming they can protect them and, and provide them with decent ground game, you know, then then they'll kind of know, right? And and Dunbar's a, you know, again, just 
I wouldn't put him in that elite tier of receiving, but he's kind of the next tier down. A very, I think, a very steady guy. Tyron Moore, I like because he's a guy that you can use all over the field. Like you can see him underneath. You can see him be the home run guy. His issue of late has been more injuries. Um, and Eugene Lewis, like I said, you know, the the one or one a deep deep threat in the league, and a, and a guy who's just a a target machine, right? So you, you look at the way they did it it's very much tailored to the needs of their teams, right? And saying, we're going to go all in at that position. And, and and again, because these aren't five, six year contracts, right? I assume they're all one or two year contracts. There's, there's the opportunity to kind of shift the comp- composition of your team. If all of a sudden, you know, Taylor Cornelius has a home run year, I think they signed him to a two year deal. So they would, they'll have him for two more years. Like the next time you'd have to re up him is at, the end of uh, the end of 2024 and by that time these other deals are probably up so you can t- you know you may not need what you, you know what i'm saying you tailor your roster to what it will need in two years and you have the flexibility to do that a lot of team or a lot of people sorry are saying hey winnipeg rah 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 you re-signed all your key pieces you brought in lawler you lost yeah. greg ellingson but Mm-hmm. Then you look at Calgary, for example, who re-signed a lot of their core players. I mean, they lost Lemon today to BC, but then yep. Calgary's getting yep. criticized because they're they didn't do really too much. Do you think there's any kind of a weird no. double standard saying, yay, Winnipeg, but Calgary, what the heck? Yeah, and, and I think it's because the bombers have just been so good for the lot. I mean, other than losing the great breakup I mean, the last three years. You know, they've they've been remarkably good and consistent. I mean, and you look at that and, and, you know, again, like you go through their roster and say, okay, if we don't re-sign X, can we go out and take the money that we would have paid him and get a better player in the market? I'm sure that's what they sit in the media and go down their roster and probably figure no, right? And then you figure the importance of consistency in football as well, right? So that's the other advantage. And, and I think Winnipeg has really benefited from this each of the last few seasons is especially in the COVID year when like every roster looked like scrambled eggs. Right. And these guys come out with a roster that looked like the roster that they'd run the great cup with before the pandemic started. Right. So there's an advantage for consistency in football, maybe more than in any other sport, particularly in the first half of the season. So, you know, you can get out and get your cushion in that. So that's, that's part of it. Um, Back to your question about Calgary, you know, and, and I, I would, there are certain people in this league that have, earned my benefit of the doubt, you know, <laughs> where I really have to be kind of pushed to say they don't know what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> and, and I would put Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel at the very top of that list. Right. I mean, you know, and, and again, I, I think, I think it's consistent with the way they've always done things, right? We've seen them sign guys here and there, but they generally don't go into the market. And why? Because they're usually coming off a good season and they're more focused on retaining their guys or finding the next guys than they are about going into the market and trying to to win a free agency. They don't have to. You know, that's kind of wired into the DNA of the franchise, at least as it has been under Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel. And even when they're coming off a year that you might not say was a great year, it still wasn't like a horrible year. And they're, you know, they're, they're in that position. I mean, you know, they added James Vodders, right? Who came back from the NFL. That's one that flies under the radar because he was, he's a former stamp who's been kicking around a little bit. Defensive lineman, I believe. They added Jamal Campbell, you know, who's not, an, you know, a Canadian offensive lineman, but he's been in the league a while and has been let go a couple of times. Micah Awi, you know, a guy who's, again, been a lot of places. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to disrespect guys that have been a lot of places, but that's usually indicative of something that, 
you know, that some aspect of their game that didn't please their previous employer. And I, I don't know that for sure for Micah Howie, but I'm just looking at his resume over the last few years. So, you know, they, they, those are all, you know, Vodders could be a high side player, depending on what you know, kind of shape he's kept himself in, but Campbell and Awi are, are probably just, you know, guys that are going to fill roles and um, you know, they'll, they, you know, that they find players, right? Like look at how many players have been introduced to this league through the Calgary Stampeders, you know, either through the Canadian draft or, or us. And, and I think that's, you know, we used to, in the good years of Montreal, you used to look at that, right? Montreal would go into the market and sign a guy or two. Maybe, maybe not even that. And then you look around the league and there were guys that had come into the league as Montreal Alouettes all around the CFL, right? And that's kind of what the stamps are. I mean, people joke that, you know, even the Argonauts, are you're down to their coaching staff with Dinwiddie and Corey Mays. You know, it's like, and uh, I believe Josh Bell's on that staff as well, right? So the, the stamps, the kind of, it's funny because they were, sort of so often coming just short of the great cup when people expected them to win it and then you go to Toronto and when people don't expect them to win it, they did, but there's, there's a lot of, you know, so I, I, yeah, I I think maybe if this had been one of those years where the stamps went, you know, 14 and four or played in the great cup or had one of those Bo Levi Mitchell teams like they did in 17, 18 and that kind of time. um, I think people expect it. It's maybe just because we expect, we kind of don't think of Calgary the way we used to, Maybe not on the field, but in the front office, I still think of them the way I used to. (laughs) Definitely. Well, uh, that is all the time that we have here today. Dave, thank you so much for popping in here today and talking free agency. And uh, right before training camp, how about we sit down and kind of preview and see um, after the draft how kind of projections yeah, let, hit hit me up in uh, hit me up in early May, and uh, you know we'll have some fun before uh, before the regular season gets started. All right, Dave, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure, and we'll talk real soon. Take care. Thank you. Well, that is it for us this week. I'll be back again next week, where our special guest will be the owner of the BC Lions, Amar Deman. You can also find us on Instagram, as always, at Around the CFL Podcast. And you can listen to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, Google, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. For Dave Naylor, I am Anthony, and we'll see you later. 